welcome to the social experiment that we call Fellowship of Faith, all right? So hey, I wanna follow up on something that I was talking about with you last Sunday. And I was speaking specifically to what is being called or labeled Generation Z, all right? Sharing with you that I was at a national youth gathering in Houston, Texas, horrible place to be in July, but phenomenal gathering. And that while we were there, gathering together with about 20,000 other students and adult leaders to plunge ourselves into community in the way of God and life with God together. And I shared with you last week something that I want to reiterate this week again because it's going to springboard everything. How this generation is facing struggles unlike generations before them. And truth be told, It's not only this generation facing struggles, but we all are. No matter what generation you may have been born into. In this day and age, there is a unique set of struggles that statistically seem to be on the map that are greater than struggles of previous generations. More often than ever, people are claiming that their mental health is just not good. And among Gen Z, we see a greater preponderance of mental health struggles than generations that have gone before them. Despite intervention efforts, which do powerful good, suicide rates continue to be on the rise. You can heap on top of that ongoing struggles of divorce rates, struggles over COVID, shootings that are popping up here and there again and again, and about a thousand other things that I can mention. So much so that we forget that words like terrorism or climate change were even on the grid like five or 10 years ago. And it would seem that if I speak at least in generalities, people are afraid, or at least uncertain, not quite sure what to do about it. And in the process, what we have are leaders. And I use that term broadly to refer to people who are leading or influencing in any capacity from parents to teachers to school administrators to social workers to politicians and policymakers and influencers of other varieties who desperately want to do something about it. And in their quest, to try to speak in, unwittingly, it would seem that a certain attitude is starting to prevail. And that attitude among the leaders could simply be described like this. Help, help, protect, protect, save, save. We're here to help, we're here to protect, we're here to save. More than that, we view it as our responsibility, not only to help, not only to protect, but also to save. 
Some believe it is a God-ordained mission, that they are here to help, that they are here to protect, and they are here to save. And the intention, I believe, by and far, is good. But I think unwittingly, something is happening. And Gen Z, I want you to hear this because of your stage of life, but this is certainly applicable to all of us in this room. Unwittingly, what I think is being inadvertently communicated at the exact same time in this very positive quest is that you can't handle it. I believe the Bible gives a countercultural message. I believe that the message of the Bible is that with Christ, you in fact can face anything, and that you are stronger than you think. Now, in fairness to this today, I want to share my bias. Last week, I made mention of various generations that are living today. The way that sociologists and, and, and people who like to study this stuff will group different people based on the age in which they're born and, and label them, not because of not because of what living in that day and age means will always be true for them, but, but, but trying to identify certain traits or characteristics or, 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 or points of view, if I can put it that way. I mentioned Gen Z, and some people came up to me last week going, I never knew there was a Gen Z. I never heard of Gen Z. I never heard that language. Gen Z is basically anyone born between 1997 and 2012. It is most of our school-age children today. That's Gen Z, but Gen Z is preceded by another generation called the Millennials, all right? The Millennials, because the Millennials grew up looking forward to Y2K and the crash of all humanity as we knew it, right? Basically grouped from 1981 to 1996, another 15 year period of time. But preceding the millennials might be the greatest generation of all time. X Factor, baby. Generation X, 1965 to about 1980, of which I find myself born in 1974, smack dab in the middle. But it doesn't stop there, because before the millennials, we have the busters, the baby busters, terrible name you got. I don't know how you get that name. And they basically go from 65 back to roughly 50 or, or whatever you want to put. But some will call them by other names. You ever heard the baby boomers? All right, baby boomer power. You post-World War II, 1950, leather coat, grease singing era, that th you know, that, 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 that grew up after America came to prominence in the world. But there's another generation older than the boomers still. And do you know what their name is? I kid you not. The greatest generation. All right? 
at least if Tom Brokaw knows what he's talking about, and of course he was one, I think, so that's a little biased as well. Now, there are thousands and thousands of pages, guys, I kid you not, written about these generations about what they think and how they act and what they value, the traits and the characteristics and the point of views each of them have. Keep in mind that none of them are universally true, nor are the date spreads that I shared with you written in stone by God to Moses from on high. They are just basic spectrum points by which we can try to understand. Now, I am Generation X. And so I believe that if I am standing up here today telling you that I believe that with Christ you can face everything, it is important to face my own bias and it is important to make it known to you. Now I can describe at length to you what Generation X is about and believes, but I think there is a better way of doing it. I can play for you a single song. What I am going to play for you, and we found the karaoke version, all right, so that the lyrics will be on the screen. Feel free to sing along. Generation X should be actually required to, I think, right? Yes. But go ahead and listen to this song and soak in the words, because it is the anthem. It is the anthem and core of perspective of my generation. Here we go. of the greatest generation. <laughs> but are you actually paying attention to what it's saying? Because I'll tell you, it's a window, as art often is. It's a window into the beliefs and perspectives 
of the values and generation that I grew up in. I don't know where I'm going. And by and far, our generation didn't. We know where we came from. We know where we'd been. We held on to the stories and the promises of the past, but they didn't deliver. You know, it's unique and interesting about Generation X is that when life throws a punch, generation punches back or it flips you off <laughs> and does its own thing. It's the generation that was common to two working parents outside the home. Latchkey kids, you remember that term? Gen Z, you don't know it. We pioneered it. It was the generation that we had to be self-reliant, self-sufficient. Figure it out. It doesn't mean our parents didn't love us. It doesn't mean in many cases that our parents weren't even there. I'm just talking about trends. And the response of Generation X is, here I go, I, me, solo, mono. Here I go again on my own, Right? Going down the only road I've ever known, the one of my own making. I'm a drifter, born to walk alone, and I'm wasting no more time. Understand, this is the bias that I'm speaking from today. But I want to contrast it now to the message of the parents of the next generation. Because Gen Z, you are being brought up in the swirl of Generation X and Millennials colliding like storm fronts, if you will, in their values and belief. And just like Generation X, I believe there is one song that can define what Millennials are about. Are you ready? Here we go. I love you. Yeah, I think some millennials actually got up and left after that one. I don't know. <laughs> but Gen Z, you're being brought up into the collision of these two contrasting worldviews. Maybe I can kind of describe it like this. If you grew up Generation X at four years old, you sat on your mom or dad's lap and you drove the car. If you're a millennial, there is no thought that you would be let out of a car seat until you're eight. If, if you are Gen X, your mom or dad puts you on a bike at 10 years old, tells you to figure it out, and come home by dinner. If you're a millennial, 
They also give you elbow pads, knee pads, a helmet, put training wheels on the bike, say you have to be in the driveway and only when I'm watching you or on a pre-approved trail if I'm accompanying you and you're 20 years old. When you are 10 years old, a Generation X parent will treat you like you're 30. When you are 30 years old, a a millennial parent will treat you like you're 10. These are the competing worldviews and the insanity into which you, Lucky Z, get to be brought up in. And I stand up here today freely saying, I am Generation X. Sift and discern the comments I will make, knowing my bias full well. But I will say it again, I believe that the Bible gives what today is a counter-cultural message, that with Christ, you can face anything, and that you are stronger than you think. I want to share a passage with you this morning. It comes from 1 Corinthians 10. Am I on? No, that helped. There we go. Look what he says. If you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to all mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I cannot tell you the amount of people that I have met that have found indelible strength in hope and whatever struggle or challenge they were facing in life, knowing that God is faithful no matter what, and that he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, that he will provide a way through. He won't take it away, not necessarily. No, He might not even make it easier. I can't promise that. But he will provide a way so that you can endure it. Make no mistake, I am not making light of the struggles we are facing in this world. Guys, you are facing some next level things. Attacks and struggles and trials from everything that comes from outside of you and all of the struggles that well up from within you. And it is hard and it is brutal. And for those of us who think we're doing okay, we should maybe take an opposite warning from this passage. Don't get cocky. If you think you're doing okay and if you think you're standing strong and if you think your feet are planted and if you think nothing can touch you, be careful. Be careful so that you don't fall. But take heart. You are not alone. I promise you this, what you are facing is not unique to you. The suicidal thoughts that plague you, 
They've plagued others as well. The depression, the panic attacks, the gripping anxiety and fear that stranglehold you, you are not alone in this. The persecution that you face from other people by virtue of trying to walk the Christian life, it has been that way for two millennium. The manipulations, coercions, and intimidations that others seek to put on you, you are not alone. The physical struggles from limitations and weaknesses of your own body, the diseases that rack your body, or the abuse that people heap on your body. Take heart. You are not alone. And there are so many others who have walked this road that you can learn from. You are not on your own, despite what the song might say. And you are not destined to be a drifter who walks alone. Because Christ is there in it and with you. In fact, everything I just mentioned, I think arguably we can say was true of Christ as well. Not only has no temptation seized you except what is common to man, but the writer of the Hebrews will say that Christ became human as we are and faced temptation or trial in every identical way. With what he felt, with what he thought, with the feelings and yearnings and movings inside and all the pressures on the outside. Jesus knows what it's like. And so does the body of Christ. And God is faithful. Whatever you're facing, God is faithful. Whatever road you're on, God is faithful. However alone you may think you are, God is faithful. And with Christ, you can face anything. Amen. Anything. You are stronger than you think. It's fascinating to me that this word temptation gets translated different ways throughout the Bible, sometimes like this, sometimes trial, sometimes ordeal, sometimes testing. Have you ever felt like you were in a trial? Maybe not a court of law, but undergoing the trials of life, maybe? Have you ever faced an ordeal? Have you ever woken up to realize that you were being tested? I'm not saying who's testing you or in what way you're testing or that God is somehow playing with you. No, 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 I don't mean any of that. I just mean that you came to realize that the decisions I make now and the choices that are before me, the results of what I choose will have consequences in my life. This passage has been an indelible source of strength to me. Facing my own ordeals and trials and temptations and testings. To know that in it all, God is faithful and with Christ, I can face anything. I like to read books by Navy SEALs. You ever read any books by Navy SEALs? They're out there and you can find them. I don't remember the author of this one. They all kind of blend together for me, but I remember this one SEAL talking about the 20X factor. You know what the 20X factor is? His language, not mine, that you are capable of enduring 20 times more. 
than you could ever imagine. SEAL training is predicated on this. Asking human beings to do the unspeakable and the unthinkable. To face trials and ordeals of such magnitude that the very thought overwhelms you and sends you back under your covers in your bed, gripped with inertia before it. He writes about how they would face the 20X factor, not because of their bravado, not because somehow they're superhuman, though we like to think of them that way, don't we? No, it's because of what happens up here, because the game is really up here. It's up here far more than it's ever in here. Capable of facing far more than you can ever think. Making a mistake doesn't mean you want to. It doesn't mean it's fun. It doesn't mean I would choose this. But we don't often get to choose the things we face in this world. And if we can change them, we should, if we can. But even when we can't, to know that with Christ, we are capable of facing and enduring through far more than we would ever dream. Want proof? Ask your mother. <laughs> but I do want to make something clear. Because sometimes this passage is used inappropriately. The point or the context, if you will, of what Paul is talking about here clearly has to do with the spiritual challenges that we face in this world and sin. Now make no mistake, this is not some compartmentalized section of life that we can set over here because the spiritual challenges that we face and the spiritual choices that we make have indelible consequences and effect on our emotional, psychological, and physical well-being as well. But make no mistake, he is talking about the temptation to sin. Because our minds and our bodies, they can fail us. They can break. And I believe it's arrogance to believe otherwise. Modern interrogation technique is based and predicated on this fundamental principle. That there is a point when all of our minds or our bodies will break. I love that quote from Zero Dark Thirty. Everyone breaks, Amir. It's just a question of biology. To say that with Christ we are stronger than we think, and to say that with Christ we can face anything should not lead us to a conclusion, to think that we are invulnerable or invincible. Each of us are breakable. I want to share a second passage with you today. 
from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at what Paul says. To keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. He calls it a messenger of Satan. Torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Can you identify? Have you ever had those moments, those instances in life where you felt like you were just being plagued, attacked, victimized? I don't care the source from outside of you or from within you, but those moments in life when you beg God, take it away. I always laugh a little when I read this passage. Three times, Paul says, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away, and I want to go, Paul, come talk to me when you hit 300. Because some of you here have been praying for years. And the amount of times you have pleaded with God to take it, whatever that might be, away, is now beyond what you can even count. But in this instance, God said, Paul says, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And look at what he says. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insult, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulties. Because he's an idiot? Maybe. But if he is, it's because he's come to realize something. That when he's weak... He's strong. That when I am weak, I am strong. Why? Because with Christ, I can face anything. Oh, I am stronger than I think. You are stronger than you think. And not because it's necessarily innately in you. Not because you are somehow an X-Men, a superhero, or some kind of preternatural creature brought on the block. No, it is Christ's power who's offered to you that no matter what you face, you can endure and make it through anything. And you can do it in such a way that you're no longer even paralyzed by it. I love this. I will boast he says, do you ever boast in your weakness? Have you ever seen someone boast in their weakness? Have you ever watched someone get insulted and they're like, yeah! I love being called. It's so true, brother, so true. Right? The hardships you face, don't you see them as something that cripples you rather than strengthens you? Think about the insults, the weaknesses, the hardships 
the persecutions and the difficulties that you face? What if your attitude was to, sh- was to change? What if you were to simply flip the switch and stop seeing them as something that victimizes you and see them as positions from which you will find strength? The hard ones. The nasty ones. The big ones and the terrifying ones. The tormenting ones and the awful ones. Oh, make no mistake. I am not trying to minimize any of these. But even when life does its worst, Christ is there. And with him, you can face anything because his grace is sufficient. And his power will not be made perfect in our great abilities. But actually, despite him, it'll be made perfect in our weakness. We live in a world that unwittingly seems to victimize us. That seems to tell us that we are not able, that we cannot do it. And they're right. But Christ can. He can. And through him and through his people and through the things he has implanted in this world, every help and support and source of strength that we can find to parallel along with him, we can face it all. When I was running through this message, ahead of time with some people, they they pointed out a concern, and I'm going to share it with you, a disclaimer, so to speak. Dave, you know that there's some people sitting in this church right now who think that by sheer faith they can overcome all their problems. Hopefully you have not heard that from me today. They can break you. And sometimes they have. And sometimes they will. And they don't always have to. Which is why we live in a wonderful world of counselors and doctors and pharmacology. Counseling and friendship and mutual support. New perspectives of thinking and living and facing idealistic distortions that we might unwittingly carry. No, take advantage of them all. Don't hear me wrong. It's stupid to suffer needlessly. But for the past 2,000 years, I am here to tell you that through it, above it, beneath it, and around it, people have found a more transcendent strength that can give expression, meaning, and cohesiveness to it all. And his name is Jesus. And that if we come to believe and realize that with him, we can face anything, you will find that in him you are stronger than you think. So I want to flip the switch. I want to flip the switch this morning from lamenting our weaknesses, our insults, our hardships, our persecutions and difficulties, 
to boasting about them. Gladly. In light of what I've shared today. Here's what I'd like to do, and it's an invitation that's simply open to you. I don't really know functionally how we can all like boast about our weaknesses here today. It would just be like a, a cacophony of conversations that would devolve in eight seconds to lunch. All right? So I'm going to try it just another day because so many of us live in silence and secrecy and shame over these things that he mentions. Let's boast about them. Let's own them. Let's say, yeah, I face that, and in that, I'm seeking Christ in the middle of it. Because when he is weak, or when I am weak, he is strong. I'm just going to say some categories of things today. And as I do, if you want to boast about it, or if that language doesn't suit you, own it openly and confidently. I'll just invite you to stand up and get on your feet. If you, well, you're just like eager, all right. Let, let, first wave, first wave, lead the way, all right. First wave, ready to own it, all ready. I love it. But here's where I was going to go. If you have ever had cancer or have had a close loved one, a spouse, a child, a parent or a sibling who has faced it, would you be willing to own that? To boast about it? To confidently say, it's me? And be on your feet. Same drill if you or someone very close to you, a deep and intimate loved one, a spouse, a parent, a child, or a sibling. Now stay on your feet. You're not done boasting, you're boasting away. <laughs> has ever faced some other kind of terminal disease, affliction or condition that maybe crippled you, that maybe took your life, their life? Would you join our cancer people today on your feet? If you have ever faced terrifying thoughts, dark, evil. Ones that you ask, where is this even coming from? Ones that you hate, ones that you're like, I don't want to feel this way. Would you get on your feet? If you or a loved one very close to you has ever thought frequently about suicide, attempted suicide, committed suicide, would you join the people on their feet? If you have ever been plagued by a sin that you hated even if you secretly loved, 
that you've stood against, that you have fought against, that you've struggled against, and it continues to torment you and entice you and seduce you? Would you get on your feet? If you've ever had an addiction or continue to fight one still of any stripe and variety, would you join these people on your feet? If death has ever claimed someone near and dear to you, close, a soulmate, a best friend, a child or a sibling or a parent, would you join these people on your feet? Now, would you look around? Can you see that you are not alone? That what you are facing is not unique to you? And that there is an entire body of people who can identify and walk alongside you whatever it is you may face. And can we flip our switch that in the face of these weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties, say the words that Jesus has to say, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Can you make Jesus' words yours today? If you want to boast in your weakness, I invite you to say it with me. Let Jesus' words be your coming off your lips. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Now close your eyes. Think of the struggle, the challenge, the problem, the trial, the ordeal, the persecution, the insult, or whatever it might be. And in it, can you hear the words, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. It is. And it is.